I do. And I don't. You know, it was the year 1964 mm. when um, an old, uh, crusty old man, miserable old man, uh, was greeted at his door by a young 13-year-old street urchin, as he would have called it, but which was just a, a, a homeless boy. He knocked on the door, and, and he answered the door. He goes, what do you want? And he goes, sir, sir. This is in New York City. You can tell by the accent. Mm-hmm. Sir, sir, do you have any alms? Again, 1964. <laughs> do you have any Arms. Alms. Oh, okay. Alms for the poor. Like, how did he open the door if he didn't have any arms? No, it's alms. Sorry, you don't know sorry. this term. Okay, it's alms. I'm here. I'm here. <clears throat> and he said, What? I have nothing for your kid. Why would I even bother giving you anything? Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's crusty. Very. Mm. And the boy said, Because I'd like to start a technology company that would allow me to be a platform for podcasts. And in my heart, I believe there will be a podcast that will come that will be exclusively intimate relationship advice. And this advice will change lives. Oh, yes, crotchety old man. It will change lives for the better. What part of New York is this kid from? uh, uh, Yonkers. People will... Um, be able to have better discussions in relationships. They won't fight in the same way they used to. They'll stop being so darn codependent. Codependent? What the fuck is that? And they'll have better sex. Oh, I haven't had sex in a dog's age. <laughs> That's what Mr. Flanagan said. <laughs> it's strangely reminiscent, in fact, yeah. of old man Flanagan. Very similar uh, voice and very similar script. But anyway... That boy in 1964 mm-hmm. was Steve Jobs. I thought it was going to be your great-grandfather. No, that, that's a whole other thing. That, he had the vision, too. Oh. Many people have had the vision of this show, cat. I just need to point out the fact that the last three episodes of this podcast have started with old men. Yeah, which is weird that old men are so desperate for marriage and sex advice podcasts Indeed. that they have visions uh, for them. But but I was very careful to make the main character in this one a young boy. I see, okay. A young Steve Jobs. A young Steve Jobs. From Yonkers. From y- Yonkers, looking for alms. <laughs> <laughs> looking for arms. Yeah. And uh, because everybody needs arms in order to use their, adv- their devices. And let me guess, the old man had no alms to give him, but he did hand him a shiny apple. Well, he goes, yeah. <laughs> That's a great end to that. <laughs> and he goes, this apple is going to help you with your advice. And he goes, you mean device, sir? Don't you mean device? He's like, I don't know what I mean. And then he goes, but advice. That's a great idea. The podcast that I dream of should give advice on a device. And, and then, yeah. I just really wish I could be here when you re-listen to this intro <laughs> to this episode. Just, I just want to be here for I that. Should, I should take a picture of what my face will look like for uh, for our Instagram. And what it will look like, Kat, is completely expressionless. <laughs> just like, uh, <laughs> Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Chances are I'll be watching turning wood turning videos on YouTube and uh you know where they take a hunk of I wood know what they... wood turning is. <laughs> is that your next project? No, I did a little bit of wood turning in order to make my ceramic waffle cones. Um Joel has straight up become a pioneer over the lockdown. <laughs> a pioneer. A pioneer. <laughs> I've got a covered wagon out front. He's learning all the handicrafts. Well, I'm a potter now. I'm a ceramicist. A ceramicist? Yeah, I'm a ceramicist. I've uh, <laughs> I've decided that this is my new thing. I am uh, going to, well, I've been doing it for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, You're actually quite good, like all jokes aside. I, you know what? I have a, more failures than I do have successes. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say that because I'll try things. Like right now I'm trying something, um, which I haven't posted on Instagram yet, but we'll see if it works out tonight where it doesn't fall apart and break, mm. you know, but things, you know, I try to do something and it's, it's like learning the way clay works. Yes. You know what I mean? Learn the way of the clay. Yeah. So, uh, this is what we do. This is called, uh, I do and I don't show and what it, it's really about crafts. Crafts and old men. Old men and crafts. Old men and crafts. What, what kind of crafts are, do you want to do? You know, uh, what we, we talked about them all. Uh, the other day we did paper mache. Paper mache. Yeah. The, the, of course, that was a two-part episode. The first episode was wire, mm-hmm. wire uh, you know, creating a shape out of wire, and then you got to cover it with paper mache. Mm-hmm. And Kat gets the questions, and the questions are like, how on earth do you use a glue stick without getting your fingers all sticky? And we answer those questions uh, to the best of our abilities, which are pretty good because we're both very crafty. Um, okay. I think we should start again. Kat, have you ever done any crochet? I have. Well, there you go. So um, <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the, it. That's the cast. People <clears throat> send their questions to I do and I don't show at gmail.com or Facebook, Instagram, I do and I don't show. And we just go like, yeah, we get it. You guys want to make, you know, some sort some of crafts. wood inlaid with epoxy. We'll tell you how to do that. All right, well, let's get into the first question. Okay. Okay. Dear Joel and Kat, mm-hmm. do you remember what it was like to start experimenting with sex and intimacy? You mean rock tumblers. Can you tell us about your own adolescent sexual encounters that set the stage for how you perceive sex in adulthood? Hmm. Well... Well, yes, I guess we have. I've used rock tumblers. I don't know if you have, <laughs> but but what you want to do is uh, use the first thing is use the right rocks. Use like if the you right get, rocks. Yeah, if you want to get the rocks to look really shiny, and you want to the purpose of a tumbler, of course, is to get those pesky bits of rock off. You got to get your rocks off, essentially by tumbling them and they knock against each other and then they become all nice and round and shiny. Can we can we move on from this now? Yeah, but what was the question? <laughs> oh dear god. It was like what Do you remember what it was like to start experimenting with sex and intimacy? Right. And can you tell us about your own adolescent sexual encounters that set the stage for how you perceived sex in adulthood? Uh, that's so interesting. You go first, cat. Okay, so I was a late bloomer in terms of my peer group because I was very afraid of penises as a teenager. I was like, I didn't know, I'd never seen one in real life. I didn't know what to do with one. And all of the boys that I knew were like, there was an element of danger to all of them that I just did not feel comfortable offering up my virginity or vulnerability. 
And until I, you deflowered a Satanist. Now I can see why <laughs> no, these people are a little bit questionable. No, no, that was later. So right. I did at one point though meet this boy who I was quite enamored with. We were quite good friends and I was very attracted to him. And I think I probably would have gone down that road with him. But then he stopped me and told me that there was a pool of money on my virginity that our peer group had all betted on to see who would be the first to deflower me. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What, how did that feel? It felt awful. Yeah. That's horrible. So that set my tone of like, well, prior to that, my mistrust in men had already been established, but that kind of cemented it. But it also kind of reinforced my own intuitive sense that this was not the time or place for me to engage in sexual experimentation. So I guess I was grateful that he was honest and he didn't go forward I don't know how much money he stood to win, so maybe it wasn't all that impressive of a pool. But This is why you got to get out of that group yeah. of people that know you that might put money on. <laughs> put bets on your yeah, that's sexualities. Yeah, so yeah, I definitely disengaged from that social circle. And then I moved from that to spending a lot of time in the music scene. Um, mm. I was a teenager in Hamilton, so there was like a really strong independent music movement that happened there. You dated a few guys that played rock organ. You're like, you can play my organ. Guys in bands. Yeah. But I ended up being really attracted to this guy, largely based on his personality because he was not attractive Mm. and he was significantly older than me. This is probably why I still get laid. (laughs) But he had, he was a lot of fun. Like he had this really kind of mischievous, almost impish quality and he was really hilarious and like kind of out there. His name was Ron Sexsmith. That guy's ugly. (laughs) He was very extroverted uh, And he You know He he had a lot of charisma and charm And he was really into sex Like he talked a lot about porn And 70s porn And he was just funny And I felt super comfortable with him And I thought like If I'm gonna do this for the first time It stands to reason that Having sex with an older person Who's like a grown ass man Who knows what he's doing Is gonna be better for me And so it wasn't until I was totally ready to like make my own appointment with my doctor, put myself on the pill, figure out exactly what I needed to do that I told him because we started dating at this point. And there was never any pressure from him for me to like give up my virginity before I was ready. But we did a lot of other things too. He taught me how to give myself my first orgasm too, which mm-hmm. was great. Like I thought I had done it at this point, but I in fact had not yet <laughs> reached. How do you teach someone to do that? Uh, he showed me how to use my hands in a way that worked really well. Clitorally? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I hadn't, like, I thought I had already had an orgasm and then he gave me my first orgasm and I was like, oh, wow, that's like a whole next level of this thing that I thought I was doing. So I felt very comfortable being able to experiment and communicate with him and talking about sex wasn't weird. I didn't feel embarrassed. And I don't know, I think that set the tone for me in terms of sex and adulthood to know that it's really important to establish good communication and comfort and safety and just feel empowered in my own right to be able to ask for what I need and like take care of my own health and just be playful and fun and adventurous about it. So, hmm. and so that that's how it informed by. So that was a good. It didn't end well, but like hmm. the experiment, he ended up cheating on me, which was like you know a long legacy of that happening in my relationships. Well, but he's a seventies porn addict. He's a seventies so, porn yes. addict <laughs> musician who hung around with a bunch of teenage girls. So I guess I could have seen that one coming, hmm. but um, yeah. But the I think the actual sexual nature of our relationship was always quite fantastic, even though a lot of people would see us together and they'd be like, "Why are you attracted to that guy?" They couldn't figure it out. So. Hmm. 
I don't know if I've had, uh, like, I'm trying to imagine formative sexual experiences that have informed who I am now. And I don't know that, because I feel like I've grown, I grow out of, you know what I mean? Yeah. The youthful thing. So I don't really hang on to those things. I guess the, because I was raised in a sort of not, not, I'll say not that sex positive sort of environment. And then the first person that I was with was also repressed, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was kind of a difficult thing. And, um, so there was guilt there, but I didn't really feel guilty. You know what I mean? And I was just like, moving forward in my life. And then like the second person I was with, it was just like night and day. They were like very like just into sex. They loved it. You know, they were like, this is great. Let's do this. This is fun. Um, so in my life, I've been sensitive to the, that sexual repression. And, you know, for a lot of uh, partners, you don't encounter that. Um, but then it's still around. And nowadays, I guess, so I guess this is, this is a direct correlation. Nowadays, I'm, I really will shut the door quite quickly on a sort of potential relationship. If I get the vibe that, this is going to be like jumping over hurdles to have a sex positive relationship. Yeah. And I just don't want, I can't do that. No. You know, and I'm not like crazy. Like I'm not like, I don't know what's crazy sexually or anything like that. Like it's, it. I wouldn't, I'm not a sex addict or anything weird like that, but I just can't be with somebody that it's like, ugh. It's fine. I have to tell them it's fine to have sex. Yeah, no, you shouldn't have to do that at all. And you know, I have to tell them You should them feel that, like they want to engage in yeah, that way. Like you should, sex should be super fun and you should be excited about it. Mm-hmm. And genitals are beautiful and wonderful and we should, you know, be able to stick our faces in them and, you know, yeah. to have that, be able to say that and, you know, like to talk to somebody and go... I think it's exciting to, I think I may have mentioned that, but I think it's exciting to have sex on my balcony. Whenever I have a balcony, I'm going to have sex out there. I think that's a, a fun thing. For somebody to go, that's weird. You know, you can't be with that person. No, and know? like I can see where your balcony would be there. There's, I mean, if someone was trying to see you, I guess they could. Not really. Not, I know, you're right. It is pretty no, sheltered. No, it's completely private. That's it's totally it's private. the perfect place. Yeah. But um, open air sex, wouldn't that be lovely? Well, no, that's weird. Okay, let's go by, you know. I need to be with someone who's not shut down when I assert my own sexuality. Someone that's confident enough in their own sexuality that they're not intimidated by yours is yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also need someone who can stand very confidently in the masculine. But, but, but of course, not take that too far. We were talking about the leash last episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But these are, I, uh, that's how I would answer that. Question. And playfulness, like playfulness is important too, which is something I realized in my teenage years. Yeah. I think that like when I had my second partner and they were just like super into just 
being like having sex. And it, it, she even suggested, <clears throat> she even suggested like a role play one time. And I was like, well, we haven't had sex that long. Do we really need to start role playing at this stage? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, why not? Is it already boring to be? But yeah, no, it was just like, okay, let's try this on for size, you know. And I wasn't that good at sex at the time, you know. And I think that that was the other thing. But that I feel like that was always innate somehow because I don't think it was that learned. The idea of giving pleasure and that being very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first relationship, it was the, I, like the it was that didn't exist as an idea because actually yeah, I got, it's got to have been now I'm thinking about it that second relationship because the first relationship you we couldn't talk about sex right it was always a negative thing uh, yet they we both still wanted it but we weren't allowed to say we wanted it it was very confusing that sounds confusing the second relationship was like yeah well I'm I want to have sex I am like I'll, I'll i'm gonna be on birth control you know i'd like to orgasm where's my orgasm i and i was having a hard time i wasn't giving her an orgasm because i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> i was trying mm-hmm. but i wasn't good at it so um but the idea of like okay this person needs to come and she can come and she likes to come um i think that was a now that i think about it probably very very important or formative because then I'm just like okay this is a motivation of mine mm-hmm. this is a goal because I don't want to leave this person hanging yeah um whereas if I had stayed in that first relationship I may never have given anyone an orgasm for my <laughs> whole entire ever, life ever yeah hmm. so crazy I can't mm. I can't I can't um I can't believe the amount of time I've spent in space where I have been unsatisfied with the sexual dynamic that existed in the relationship and have had to somehow try to justify why I'm still there. Like I've done that a couple of times and I think it's just a waste. Like it's like why why oh sex isn't the most important thing though the other stuff is good blah blah. Yeah, but it's kind of pretty important. It is really important and I don't know, like maybe this is unique to me, but for me if the sexual dynamic is not working, the other things usually aren't either. Well, the, the frustration that it's going to, you know, that's going to develop from it. And I'm sure there's relationships where, like, both people are having mediocre sex together, but they're both satisfied with it. Yeah. You know, you and I might, if we were flies on the wall, go like, like okay, that you guys didn't want, <laughs> didn't want any more than that. Yeah. You, you, she couldn't put a little, she can play with his butthole that's a little bit. 100% like not enough ass eating in this scenario. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. But um, but for them, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. And they don't want to talk about it. You know, they just, and that's, they're both kind of like on the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The outskirts of sexual, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not really in it. Yeah. They're kind of, and they're comfortable. But they're there. happy that way. Fine. Yeah. Good. Live your life. But oftentimes there's one person that's like that and the other person's just like in the deep end going, can you get in the pool? Please get in the pool. I love this pool. Why don't yeah. you want to be in this pool with yeah. me? And you just got to avoid those people hmm. that don't match. That is a funny one. Thinking of my adolescent sexual exploits or lack thereof. 
Yeah, and you know what? If there are any young girls that want to have an older man... <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> advertise, advertise. Question number two? Sure. Hey, guys. You must get a lot of questions like this, but my partner and I, we live together, no kids, have been really getting on each other's nerves since COVID began. I think it's because neither of us have our usual distractions and interests to turn to. My question is about conflict resolution. How can we approach fighting if we have completely different conflict styles? How can we best patch things up and move on? For example, I really need to talk things out and air them out, and my partner just shuts down and wants to tune out and work. When he does this, it's like the tension in the apartment's unbearable, and I can hardly contain my need to demand a resolution. How can we make it less tense? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's time to end the relationship. Yeah. Like, Force them out of the home and ha- make them find a new place. Are you really agreeing with me? No. Of course I'm not. Are you crazy? I'm like, wait, wait, what? But this is often what happens in couple dynamics. Like, it's very rare that you find a partner whose conflict style doesn't push you away. <laughs> well, that's the nature of conflict. Exactly. Like, but even in trying to resolve it, a lot of times there's like weird self-protective shit that we do that's just like so off-putting. It makes you wonder why you even want to bother trying to make things better. Can this person um, like relax a little bit and give this other person time to come to the place of having a conversation? They have to be able to do that. But is that person ever going to come to the place of... Well, this is this is the thing. Like, I think what happens is that some people get activated, so they ramp up in their anxiety and their stress, and they need to like get through that feeling and really lean into the other person to give that to them. They can't just sit in the discomfort and the uncertainty. And then, usually in those dynamics, the other person just like shuts down. So, in an ideal situation, you're going to have someone who's very stable, like that, mm-hmm. who's just going to be like, "No, this isn't." You know, you don't, it's not the end of the world right now. It's just like an uncomfortable impasse that we're at. It's going to be fine. But that's rarely the fact, the case that ends up happening. So I think when the person who shuts down feels like they're shutting down, they have to say, I need to take some time. I need to put a pause. We can come back to this. And then there's got to be like a 24-hour window, I think, in which that the conversation has to come back onto the table when everyone's calm and cooler heads can prevail. And then the person who's super freaking out or stressed out or anxious has to honor that space and disengage from the conversation. Go for a walk, go and journal, go work out, do whatever they need to do to shift their own energy. Yeah, because they're going to, that's the problem with the person that wants to, for the person that wants to talk about it and the other person doesn't want to, is that they're holding on to that and they can't, they can't feel at peace until they've kind of had it out with that other person. So what do they do? And you're saying, go for a walk, do deal with journaling, deal with it, just sit with run it. on the treadmill. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than trying to have a conversation when someone is highly activated and the other person is not there for it mm-hmm. and they're having their own response. Or even like if you're in a dynamic where both of you get really stressed out and loud or whatever the case, even then you have to be able to learn to like put a pause on it and come back to it later. And just go and tend to your emotional state. Regardless of what your partner says or does, you are wholly responsible for your emotional response to that. I mean, we're all going to feel what we feel and we're all entitled to feel what we feel. But how that manifests is 100% up for each of us to manage. 
you know, and we're all human, we slip up, we, you know, sometimes like say things we don't mean or use a tone that we don't want to, but that's not our partner's fault and in no way should they be responsible for it. And we've heard from people that were like in successful relationships and what they had uh, to say in that anniversary episode we did, we call it anniversary episode. Mm -hmm. And one of the ideas was to never never sort of think the worst of your partner in the yeah. sense that they're there to attack you or they want to hurt you always give them the benefit of the doubt and if you can do that that's going to make a huge difference in any kind of conflict because you're going to be like okay they're not trying to hurt me they're not trying to attack me and uh, hopefully your partner is not trying to hurt you or attack you yeah but i have two other ideas that um, may also be very very helpful let's hear them one of them is that there's probably an episode of Friends that's dealing with the issue that you guys are having. <laughs> so, like, the, just there, that shows everything's happened on that show. Am I right? Uh-huh. So, get your and and friends encyclopedia out and just find the episode, put it on. You guys are going to have a laugh, but you're also probably going to learn something. And they're probably going to give you the answer, a little bit of a moral of the story of how to handle that. We were on a break, etc. Um, so that's one way of doing it. And the other thing I was thinking, which is not, it doesn't exist yet, but you know how they like say that if some if if something's popular, there's going to be a porn parody of it? Yes. They should do that for arguments. Porn parodies of arguments? Yeah. You know how there's always like a little skit at the beginning that's before they That's actually hilarious. Yeah. They should just be like, oh my goodness, you didn't take out the garbage yesterday. Like they should just have... Always have like the whatever argument people can send in arguments that they've had and they're like, okay, how would we resolve this? Do the argument and then resolve it by fucking. Mm -hmm. And then you'll go like, okay, so this is a... Because right now, a lot of it is you uh, like your stepsister wants to borrow the car and the only way you're going to let her borrow the car is if she bangs you. Mm-hmm. And then, then that's it. And th- that's not a very common scenario at all, Kat. No, you're right. It's not. So that's not helpful for anyone. But if they were to, you know, get these more realistic dynamics, you know, I'm always cooking. I'm exhausted. The kids are in the other room. Like, wh- why Why do I always have to do the cooking in the house? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Well, I'm not good at cooking. I, I don't really enjoy it. I, yeah, you think I enjoy it every single night? There's got to be a solution. Well, I can try to learn how to cook. Or what if I just went down on you for half an hour right now? That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go down on you. And then then the sex starts. Yep. So these are fun little fun little sex scenarios. Porn should fix that. Turn Yeah, turn your relationship arguments into porno scenarios instead. Yeah, and see how, how, how would they... Actually, just think about that. How would they solve it? Yeah, what would porn actors do? <laughs> That's the question. What WWPD? <laughs> I like this solution. I'm not sure how easy it is for all of us to access our sexual energy when we're feeling activated or triggered or stressed out with our partners, but Well, what I'm trying to say with both my suggestions is try to infuse a little humor into the mm-hmm. proceedings. Be it obviously friends maybe won't have the answers, but if you imagine your life as a friends episode or scene of porn uh maybe that'll fix the problem for you indeed um yes you can also try you know conflict resolution strategies of which there are many yeah blah 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 so uh (laughs) (laughs) you know intentional conversations 
where you're listening instead of responding. Hmm. Those kinds of things. Uh, hey, ma- here's something I just made up. Why don't you do little affirmations in those moments where you say, I understand that you need space right now. I s- love you. I will never stop loving you. I'm going to go in the other room now. That's so sweet. And then maybe he'll go, I love you too, and I'll never stop loving you either. I'm just really upset right now. I can't Oh, talk I to love you. that idea. That's so a really good guys, one. Yeah. When you guys are sober, not drunk on hate um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anxiety, maybe you can be like, hey, maybe we should try this. I just made that up. Next question. And we're moving on to the next one. All right. Well, did we not solve that? I, I think we did. Turn it into porn and give each other loving affirmations. <laughs> That's good. We're doing it Joel's way today. Question number three. You gave a lot of advice. Did I? I don't remember what you said, but I know you were talking for a bit. I was talking for a bit. I think I just talked about putting a gap in and honoring that space. Yeah, and that was what the problem was. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. wait, Did we miss something? No, I think it's just like, how do we patch things up and approach fighting? Yeah, yeah, I think we solved that. We solved it. (laughs) Question number three. Have either of you ever been in an intercultural relationship with someone? And do you approach those relationships differently considering that we all bring our own cultural experiences, biases, perhaps even misconceptions and misunderstandings into a partnership? How about you, Kat? Well, I know the answer is yes. Yeah, I've definitely been in an intercultural relationship. My children are all half Indian. Um, I mean... I don't think I approach the relationship differently at all. Uh, I think... I think I enter into any relationship in the spirit of like... Why are you crying? Ha ha ha. You're hilarious. I think when I enter into a relationship, it's because I'm curious about the person that I'm with and I'm curious Mm -hmm. about the people in their lives and in their families. So... I'm really focused on getting to know who they are in their essence. Also, also for me, like, I grew up in a French-Canadian culture, and mm. it's, like, there's a lot of people Who at family you? gatherings. They drive like shit. There's, like, tons of food. It's oh. loud. It's boisterous. Ah. It's all centered around family. So, like, to me, to, for example, my partner's, my ex-partner's family is Indian. So for me to be part of that cultural experience was not, that different right. than my own because it's like full of loud, boisterous, joyful people and lots of food and like lots of family-centered activities. So, you know, the flavors were different, certainly, Yeah, uh, which was great. And something really cute used to happen all the time whenever one of his aunties would offer me some food. They'd always be like very cautious that it was going to be too spicy for me. I'm like really worried that I couldn't hack it. You're like, I'm a redhead. I can handle some spice. I love spicy food. No, no, no. It's like, it's not like white people spicy is what they used to call it. It's very adorable. This is like real Indian spice. And I don't think there was any moment in which real Indian spice was more than I could handle. So, and I like, since I was a child, I've been super curious about all the people that have been in my environment. And like, I, I don't know. I guess I just approach it with openness and curiosity and interest. I think that what you said where like, or I think it was in the question that like within the same culture, you can have many differences. And my upbringing was, I know very different than what you would think is the kind of run of the mill every day, you know, family, mom, dad, two kids, regular you know, public school, whatever, 
my upbringing was different. A lot more kids, Mm -hmm. just a different environment. Um, And so if I were to interact with the uh, regular everyday uh, white person who grew up in the same area, it would maybe be a little bit weird. Yeah. Because I am very different. And they would expect me to be like them. But it wouldn't, they'd be like, you're weird. I've gotten that, (laughs) you're weird from people that are the same, arguably the same as me, you know? But when I've uh, interacted and met people who are even like immigrants or uh, from immigrant families and that kind of thing, sometimes I, I feel as though because their culture is so different Mm -hmm. and my personal home life culture was so different. You can just sit there and and learn about each other. Like you were saying, and you're both kind of more open Yeah, because you're not sitting there going, Oh no, this is how things are. We all went to the same school. We all did the same things. We all had the same experience. Why are you weird? (laughs) Like, why are you not the same? No one's approaching you like you're weird in that scenario. They're just like genuinely curious about who you are. They're like, and and then I've also found, and this was like uh, kind of the opposite of what people have said as far as like, well, if you date someone in your own culture, and sometimes race, arguably, mm-hmm. uh, you'll you'll have more of a, a easier starting point because you'll be kind of in the same world, right? And then you can move from there as far as like what are your ideas and things. And I've found that people in different cultures, different races, like I I have really seriously connected like philosophically yeah. and with values and all those things and sense of humor, which is like the thing I put like number Beyond one. All else, yeah, yeah. Sure. So I'm like I have this connection. And this person doesn't speak English that well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like th- this is like there's something there and it doesn't – I don't need them to be white and grew up near me. In and, the Niagara region. Yeah, yes, 100%. It's just, so I would say like for me, I've loved any sort of encounter with people of a di- different race. Yeah, and I think like when you're interculturally dating with – you. You and I both are very curious about other people in general, right? Mm -hmm. And I know I'm kind of more extroverted than you. And like I've got quite a few tattoos and I've had some interesting lifestyle choices. But regardless of who I'm dating, when I meet their family, for example, I always tone it way down. Yeah, you're not like, my clit's pierced. (laughs) It's not, for the record. (laughs) But yeah, like I don't, I usually will cover my tattoos the first couple of times and sort of ease them into it because I want to be perceived more about the essence of who I am rather than like like all these other things. So, and that's not, that has nothing to do with whatever cultural background my partner's from. It's just like, you know, meeting the family has this sort of weighted expectation. You want to make a good impression. So yeah, yeah, I don't come out like full on blazing. Yeah. Um, And for me, when I was with my son's and daughter's dad, I was really excited to be exposed to some of his cultural experience so like the food for sure and whenever there's a wedding or celebration I would usually wear traditional clothing because I have loved traditional eastern Asian dress since I was like three years old I grew up in a, a neighborhood in Hamilton that was really heavily populated with Pakistani families and so all the women would wear these 
gorgeous clothes and like I was enchanted I thought they were beautiful and then I remember I first learned how to wear a sari from one of my friends in high school who taught me how to wrap it properly and like I can properly wear a sari I know how to do this and so I never felt like it was cultural appropriation because there is that like deep reverence and appreciation for the traditions and the customs and even like how you are supposed to hold your body while you're wearing the fabric on you so it was beautiful to be able to experience that I really enjoyed it so I don't know, I feel like I'm open and excited and immersive regardless of the cultural background of whoever I'm dating. I just kind of want to know what their traditions are because I put a lot of value in ritual and tradition and family too. And I come at it from a very different perspective in that I I don't have the same sort of reverence for culture, race, <laughs> uh you know, your country, where you're from, all those things. Because I really want to believe that people are people. And I get that there are those things that are important to some people, and that's fine. But for me, it's just like, I like to strip, you know, like I, you like a certain type of food. You enjoy your food. Okay, that's cool, you know. And I and I don't know if it, it comes from, like, just, I, I feel like we're in Canada People come from all over the world and live here. My dad's from Holland. You know what I mean? Canada doesn't have, like, the identity of Canada is, like, nothing. It's Tim Hortons. You know what I mean? Like, our culture is, like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's nothing to really point to. It's not like, you know, the clothes of Pakistani people or, you know what I mean? Like, there's such vibrant, like, you can really point to, like, Dutch windmills you know wooden <laughs> shoes yeah there are like the weird, weird hats well i think a lot of our rich cultural markers come from our indigenous culture which sure but they're it's hard to say they're ours and, well they did they aren't ours and in fact like we've kind of lost sight of so many of them yeah. because it's it's th- theirs from country Canada before yeah. we got here. Yeah, and now, like, we all brought so many things, so all we're left with is Tim Hortons Yeah, and, and poutine. And okay, hockey. You know, yeah. But... Beaver tails. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of that is just, like, okay, I get... I I do, like, it's it's fine. These the, There are other cultures, and people care about that. But people are people. It's just, yeah. like... So when I'm getting to know someone, of course, if they're going to share their food and different things about their culture, um, ideas and things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested in that because it is a part of them. But at the same time, I don't have the same sort of like, like I'm happy to like not think about it or go go over that stuff. It's just like, that. I get it. It depends on how important that is to them. Mm-hmm. Like my one girlfriend was Filipina and she loved, she was born... She was either born there, like, but came here when she was two or something. But for argument's sake, she was Canadian. Um, but she loved the the, the Filipino stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she would she knew the the lang Tagalog yep. to a degree. Um, she was she thought the food was great, and she wanted to share those things. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll get into this. I'll, I'll learn about it. it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but then I dated another Filipino girl, not, wasn't interested much at all. No. Again, can, like Canadian born. Not Just attached. didn't connect with yep. it. So she was just like, and she, a few times some of the words or terms would come up, but it just wasn't that important. So I was like, well, I'm not going to like 
we got to get go down the Filipino rabbit hole, you know, like, okay, we're just just going to be us. Yeah. You know, so. And I think that's it. Like, largely, first and foremost, it's about the connection you have with another person. Yeah. And then, like, whatever cultural elements either people are attached to and they want to introduce into the relationship are always. And it's nice if you can, like, embrace that and if you love yeah. it. And they want you to immerse yourself in it and everyone's, like, really involved. Like, that's excellent, too. I've never really had that. It's always been just like, I'm a very strong presence. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I've just been me and they've just been them. <laughs> just and, you know, yep. we've just existed outside of those. And they it comes up mm-hmm. because it's still, it, usually in food, right? Yeah. It's like, well, this is the, and then they say stuff like, well, do you want to just have some white people food? I'm like. Sure. <laughs> white people food, like what fish sticks, boiled potatoes, and stuff. oh right, okay, like overcooked meat, and overcooked meat, bland vegetables. White people food is very boring. It is boring, but I'm like <laughs> white people food. There's so many different white people foods. Exactly, you can't like, just say white people. But anyway, it's it's, it's fine. fine. It doesn't matter. I get it. I get it. But anyway, um, was the question should I date somebody? No, no. It was like, do you approach intercultural relationships differently than you would? I think I approach it differently in the sense that I gravitate towards it and I'm excited by it. And I think that it's wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, like, whereas white people, I'm like, eesh. <laughs> I think it like there's a difference too between interracial and intercultural relationships because I remember dating Italian guys when I was in high school and it would be Gross. like I was in a different world when I would go over to their houses. Mm-hmm. Like, their dinner, everything was completely different than the way we did it at home. Yeah. And so, like, that felt like I, I was in a completely different realm than what I was used to. Yeah. So. I wonder, as we get older, is there a shift away? From, like, does that seem more serious when you're younger or something? Because, like, I can't imagine. It was never a barrier. It was just like, yeah. oh, this is super different than w- the way we do dinner time. Like, no one's eating liver and onions. I'm so excited to but see what this. I'm, like, what I'm, I think what I'm getting at is like when you're younger and you're raised a certain way or you have a certain community or lifestyle, um, you that you're like, this is how it is because you're a kid, right? So yeah. you think that that's the way the world is. Yeah. And then when you see something different, you're like, <laughs> no, that's not how it's supposed to be because yeah. I know how it's supposed to be because that's the way we do it. Yeah. And then when you're, you know, much older, you're like, oh, yeah, there's so much crazy stuff out there. Yeah, there's so much beyond what I know. Everyone's doing things totally different. You, well, you should know. You know how many cheeses there are? My son's a good example of this. He he went to school and they were talking about the family dynamics at home. I think he was in grade one when this happened. He was talking about having two moms. And one of the little boys in his class said, that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as that. Uh, that's not real. Yeah. It's a mommy and a daddy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And Noah was like, yeah, it is real because I have two moms and a dad. And he was like, no, that doesn't. He, this kid was like flabbergasted. But this is the scenario. He's like, that's not real. You're making it up. Right. So, yeah. And that's arguably within the same culture. <laughs> that's questionable, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there, there's, it's, the world's a wild and wonderful place, but... Um, I'm just happy to eat well and have a good party yeah. in any scenario in which I'm dating someone. So if their family and their cultural background can offer me that experience, <laughs> I'm doing Yay! right. Yay! Yeah. All right. Well, listen, folks, it's been a pleasure to have another episode of this show done for you now recorded for you now 
And uh, Kat and I would like to say thank you for listening to us now as well, too. And also to tune in again every Monday with the next one. And then another one after that, too. Share it to your friends. Tell them about what happens here. And then also the reviews would be nice to write on the websites. Mm-hmm. Which ones? Fi- 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 iTunes. iTunes. Pod- Spotify. Follow us on Instagrams and also on the on the uh, Facebooks. What a mess! <laughs> this is the worst outro ever. Fine, you do it, Cat. Thanks for listening to I Do and I Don't. We're here every Monday to give you much sought after and sagely considered relationship and intimacy advice. If you'd like to send us your questions or follow us for episodes <laughs> <laughs> oh she's so smooth Joel's freaking oh. me out okay no another one of us can do this apparently and all I have to say is guys you gotta drink eight glasses of water a day <laughs>